Welcome to the Mind Virus Podcast. I'm Jordan Bruno. Across the table from me, Bobby Flood. Welcome. It's good to have you today, Bobby. Finally, once again. <laughs> okay, as per usual. Just uh, I'll start us off today with a few Babylon B headlines. Uh, I okay. think those play pretty well with the audience. Here's here's a good one. So what's for dinner, asks teen boy immediately after eating 50,000 calorie Thanksgiving meal at 3 p.m. Did right. that happen at your house? <laughs> so what's for dinner? Yeah. <laughs> they, they nailed it there. Uh, in an incredible Black Friday sale, Lockheed Martin is offering two wars for the price of one. <laughs> wow. And uh, let's see here. Um NFL ref throws flag after game becomes too interesting. Did you watch any football? I watched a lot of football. Apparently they've renamed the Redskins the Commanders, by the way. Yeah. That's happened a while ago. Used to be the Washington football team, I think. But anyway, it just wasn't the same. The Cowboys trounced them regardless. Uh, Musk to put Cybertruck's bulletproof armor to the ultimate test with a trip through downtown Chicago. (laughs) Nice. And then, um, let's see, here's a couple of religious ones to end us off. Oh, this is funny, though. Mom invites Xi Jinping over for dinner in hope that it will get Sun to clean his room. <laughs> okay, a, cu- uh, a couple, three uh, religious headlines here. President Z confirms Chinese ban on the Bible does not apply to quote the message. Apparently, that's a it's a movie about the Bible. And uh, scholars believe Elijah was taken up in a SpaceX Starship. It's a good headline. Here's one for you, Bobby. Not sure which Christian denomination to join. Here are the pros and cons of each. I'll link to this article. <laughs> if only Joseph Smith had had yeah. a Babylon Bee. It could, it could be so confusing. Is that a Babylon Bee? This is a Babylon Bee article. Here it goes. It can be so confusing trying to figure out which of the 437 Christian denominations you want to join. <laughs> In fact, scientists believe there are almost as many denominations as there are genders. That's a lot of different ways to do church. Luckily, we're here to help you sort through them all. Here are the pros and cons of each of the major Christian denominations. I'm Christian neutral. Christian fluid. Baptists. Pro. Potlucks. Con. Diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> Do they go through all 437? They go through about 15. Uh, the Mormons are not on this list, by the way. Well, Neither is the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Well, that's because... Uh, or members of the Church of we're Jesus... We're not Christian. I don't right? think they had room to put members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in this right? small article here. Presbyterian, pro, majestic old hymns that cause your soul to rejoice in God's glory. (laughs) Con, you are not allowed to move a single muscle while rejoicing in God's glory. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, here's what I don't understand. We can relate to that. <laughs> yeah. We've talked about the stake president stopping the music to to get everybody to sing it faster and with more vigor. Yeah, that was... That's a, happened before. That was a classic... Cla- classic episode in the one of the local stakes. Yeah, that we, we both witnessed that. Saw that. Lutheran. I, that's not the first time I've seen that. I've seen a leader do that before, mm-hmm. by the way. Lutheran, pro. Maybe you can inform me as to what this means. Pro, LCMS, con, E-L-C-A. I have no idea. LCMS, I believe, stands for Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Mm. It's a traditional denomination, yeah, I assume, I in Missouri, like all the fundamentalist Mormon stuff. I don't know. And uh, let's see. Um, oh, wasn't there just a big, I think there was just a, like a big schism or something that happened. But uh, it's sort of scratching the edges of my brain and memory. <laughs> ELCA, the Evan- Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, headquartered in Chicago. I'm guessing that is sort of an inside joke amongst Lutherans. So, <laughs> to all the Lutheran audience out there, right? Catholic, pro, Pope John Paul II, con, <laughs> Pope Francis, <laughs> non denominational. Sea Baptist. <laughs> Reformed. Pro. Learn the doctrines of grace. Con. Learning the doctrines of grace somehow make you an arrogant jerk. <laughs> Joel Olstein's Lakewood Church. Pro. Oh boy. Positive uplifting messages. Con. Hell. <laughs> Have you ever listened to Joel Olstein? I guess uh, he's probably a, a little doing bit. a little hellfire damnation. He's a prosperity gospel mega preacher. Prosperous. Mm. Evangelical megachurch Pro Casual come as you are mentality Con You are a totally depraved wretch (laughs) Eastern Orthodox Pro Full robust beards Con The women have full robust (laughs) beards too (laughs) Wow (laughs) Love the Babylon Bee Charismatic Pro, hit your step goal 20 minutes into the service. Con, zero chance of getting knocked over by the pastor and or bitten by a snake. Oh, non-zero chance. Non-zero chance. <laughs> I went too fast on that one. Anglican, pro, can have a beer and cigar with your priest. Con, decent chance your priest is a drag queen. <laughs> Episcopalian, see Anglican, but read it in an American accent. Uh, Churches of Christ, pro, no musical instruments, con, this means no cowbell. United Methodist Church, pro, cool logo on church building, con, rainbow flag on church building. (laughs) Right. Unitarian, pro, this is the last one, pro, you can do whatever you want and there is no God or hell. Con. Oh no, they're wrong, and now you're in hell. <laughs> That's it. That's all the Christian denominations there are. If your favorite denomination isn't listed, then it does not exist. Hope this helps you pick a church. What would? Uh, That's what, what they said at the end there. What would they say about uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints? What would the pros be? Potluck. Could Potluck, you think? Yeah. Um. Are we trying to be serious, or are we trying to take the, the Babylon B tone? 
I don't know. <coughs> I think probably the Babylon B tone at first, then we'll switch yeah. to something serious. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, yeah, potluck. Um, Pro to your vacation as a 18-year-old. <laughs> Con. Mandatory vacation. Mandatory. <laughs> Sel- yeah, uh, self-funded. A uh, rite of passage with an emphasis on suffering. Yeah. Where did we hear that? Heard that first. Can't tell. Uh, apparently, somebody we know f- had a mission president tell him that that's what it was. <laughs> um, pros. Um, you get to have the audience preach on Sundays. Con, you get to have the audience <laughs> preach on Sundays. <laughs> Members of the congregation. Um, pros, you have a great building anywhere you go. Cons, no art in the building. Only approved art in approved the building. Approved right? art, which is not art. It's like no stained glass windows. Pro, uh, uh, yeah, no, no stained glass windows. Pro, this is the same everywhere you go. Con, your church is actually a franchise of McDonald's. <laughs> it's the same everywhere you go. Right. Ba, 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 ba. LDS, you're loving it. <laughs> um, Pro, living profit, con. Living profit, P-R-O-F-I-T. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah that's Pro, the- Joseph Smith, con, Brigham Young. <laughs> <laughs> You know, maybe that's a good transition because it's interesting if you follow such things. What things? Such things as, you might remember me from such things as Joseph versus Brigham. You might remember me from such stories as, yes, Virginia, we were polygamous. (laughs) But not during Joseph's era. But no, but if you follow such things, there's a a real divide in the church membership between the Josephites and the Brighamites. There's a more and more, again, if you follow such things, if you're just sort of put your, putting your head down and going to church every Sunday and reading, come follow me and plodding along, you may not know this because you don't follow such things, but there's definitely a uh, camp. We'll call it two camps, right? The Joseph camp and the Brigham camp. And never the twain shall meet. Right. Well, then there's also the the Heber J. Grant before and after camp, which would make a lot of good Simpsons, uh, Phil Hartman, uh, what was his name, Troy McClure mm-hmm. movies. Like, like I just pointed out, yes, Virginia, we were once polygamous. And uh, also starring in, no, Tommy, you can't drink that coffee. It will damn you to hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Heber, Heber J. Grant's an interesting character in our history. Uh, famously loved beer. Well, we never never came out of uh, prohibition. A lot of people don't understand that before prohibition, we were drinking and after we weren't. And that's that's sort of the, we just never came out. We, it was okay before, and then it became, you can't get a temple recommend and it's very taboo. Yeah, I saw a, a parody. It was one of these little TikTok or Instagram reels. It was like, a lot of these, one of the styles I do is the, the person that makes them will be both characters, mm. you know, like 
interviewing this themselves. This is JP Sears. Kind of, kind of that style, but yeah. In this one, that was like interviewing girls at BYU. Oh, and it was like, would you rather watch your sister be put into a wood chipper or watch an R-rated movie? <laughs> and then the answer is like, well, my sister would definitely not want me to watch an R-rated movie, so, so I yes. so wood chipper, wood chipper, <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Where it's obviously it's a joke, it's a parody, but it's kind of has some truth to it. Yeah. Um. Yeah. He Heber J. He he's on the record talking about his his love for beer. Speaking of uh, R-rated movies, are they allowed now? You know we. Have I'm they, not. I don't hear much about that anymore. I'm not in the youth program right now. Is pornography ever mentioned anymore? Are we past that? You can do that no, now. There's a headline on the church newsroom. Oh, is there about porn? Well, it's a sideline. There's. I guess Brad Wilcox gave a talk about it. Called it the uh, Brad Wilcox or Brother Wilcox teaches about escaping the worthless trap of pornography. So I guess it's still out there. But I'm not okay, in the, so it's still on the table, but uh, or still off the table. But R-rated movies are on the table. Uh, probably not. I, I don't. I'm not in the youth program. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. Yeah, or but if they're not the saying men. it to the adults, because it was the adults that were telling us, it wasn't always just. Right. It was I, like my mom and dad, right? Were telling me. I don't hear as much as we used to, but I'm sure it's uh, honestly like things are are so a lot of that stuff that you used to hear a lot. It's kind of gone by the wayside because of our emphasis on general conference talks because we just regurgitate conference talks. So because it's not mentioned in conference, it doesn't exist. Kind of maybe. I mean, even in, even sacrament meeting talks are now talks about talks given in general conference. Is that the way it's done? Which are often talks about talks given in other general conferences. Talks that president Nelson gave, right? It's usually quoting, Right, President Nelson. Right, yeah, he's he's uh, the numbers show that he's the most quoted ever, <laughs> which is insane if you think about that because he's not been around that long as far as being a president. Oh, it's been what five years, and we also have a founder who has lots of material material provided to quote most from. of the revelation besides uh, apart from the Bible itself. Right, right. Yeah, our standard works, all of it came from Joseph other than the Bible, and even a lot of that has the Joseph Smith translation, which he never was able to finish, and curiously, no one's ever picked up the mantle. Actually, somebody did pick up the mantle, um, but they are persona non grata with the LDS. If you want to find the, the um, inspired version of the Bible, you can go to scriptures.info. Now, I'm not sure how I feel about this project here, but uh, I did know something about it. There was the group of uh, fringe Mormons related to uh, Denver Snuffer that did a revamp of the of the scriptures in 2017-ish, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. circa 2017, and they call it the uh, Restoration Edition Scriptures. And so if you go to scriptures.info, you can find that. They've renamed the... Bible, the Old Covenants, and the New Covenants, except that they have, actually, they've got two sections, the Old Covenants and the New Covenants, and then the New Covenants includes the New Testament and the Book of Mormon, but they've renamed the Old Testament the Old Covenants. Are they the same group that 
produced the TNC. They, yeah, and they called Doctrine and Covenants Teaching and Commandments. Yeah, mm-hmm. Teachings Covenant. and Commandments. But there's and par- some, isn't there some additional revelations in that? And it's not just a well, they, rewriting? Like or- if you look at Teachings and Commandments, it has Joseph Smith history to start off with, and then in, they've renumbered everything. It's hard to find stuff in here. They do have a search. You get to section 110, you get lectures on faith. You get the book of Abraham in the teachings and commandments, and then you get at the very end revelations of Denver snuffer. Hmm. So they put all of Denver's revelations in there. And um, if you're not familiar with Denver listeners, it's this is city, a guy that not got the city in Colorado. Yeah, this is a guy that got excommunicated in 2013 because he had written a book entitled "Passing the Heavenly Gift," which talks about Mormonism going through four different phases and how there have been a lot of changes. So it's, it's actually kind of relevant to where we, we were going off on a tangent there, he, if, uh, if you want to read it. But you, if you read it, will you get excommunicated? Probably not. If you write it, will you get excommunicated? Yes, that has been demonstrated that if you write that book, you will get excommunicated. He, he went to do uh, a series of lectures in around 2013 and they excommunicated him the day he started those lectures there was a set of lectures he was going to do around the wasatch front and there were 10 you can find this on his website at denversnuffer.com he's posted transcripts of all of that you can find them on youtube as well the 10 talks oh yeah yeah so and i've listened to those um i think you know some people might want to categorize him kind of like the september 6 from was it 1993? It was, uh, yeah, somewhere in that era, early 90s. Let's see. It was, Wikipedia's got an article. Yeah, September 1993, there were six members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints who were excommunicated at his fellowship in 93, and they were Lynn Whitesides, Avraham Gileadi, Paul Toscano, Maxine Hanks, Lavina Anderson, and Michael Quinn. And if we were to go down that list, See, I think Denver's in his own category here, but like... Well, I think three of those have come back. Well, Avraham, Avraham's was re- reversed by, uh, right. I think, Ma- Elder Maxwell or yeah. Elder... Somebody... There was some fighting in the... Um, uh, we, in the higher... Uh, let's recall them senior leadership, since that was the term used by the Securities Exchange Commission. Because sure. then you don't have to say the Q- Q12... Q15 or whatever. Sure, sure. We'll call them senior leadership. Okay. That's that's a it's a legal term that they agreed to in a legal document. Okay. So anyway, uh you've got uh the women were I think mostly related to mother and heaven issues. Avraham Gileadi was is a Hebrew scholar and analyst. He's done some translation of the book of Isaiah, which is really interesting. And so his was sort of like, his excommunication was sort of erased from existence. He never had to recant or apologize or repent. Uh, Paul Toscano never came back. Um, Maxine Hanks, I think, was related with, uh, was was related, was related to, uh, her work was related to D. Michael Quinn's, and she was excommunicated relative to uh, feminism and women and stuff like that. Uh, Lavina Anderson, same thing, I think. 
Anyway, you can read a uh, Wikipedia article on this. I think it's kind of interesting that a lot of the stuff that those guys were axed for are, are stances that the church more or less accepts nowadays. Yeah, that is interesting. But uh, D. Michael Quinn is a Mormon historian, and, and his stuff... Wasn't he... Like a Mormon like, LDS employed at historian. Right, yeah. he was the church historian, or among them, right? He wasn't just a Mormon... wouldn't call him the church historian, but he was an employed by right. the church historian. Right. Because that's a, an official position, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I think so, but he, maybe he was on that team or whatever. But yeah, he was an employee, I believe. He, uh, anyway, he was excommunicated due to his historical stances taken or the, the treatment of sensitive issues or whatever. His, his writings are pretty important. I mean, he brings to light a lot of fact and, or at least, fa- what, is, is, what is history, right? Is, mm-hmm. is it fact is it, or is it evidence? He brings to light a lot of evidence of what happened that you can... You can examine if you want. Uh, anyway, Denver's book on Mormon history, Passing the Heavenly Gift, that was, I think, the fourth or fifth book that he wrote or something like that. And the, other, the, the other ones were not uh, controversial, but this one got him outed. Uh, passing the Heavenly Gift essentially says the church screwed it up. And the church changed is what he's trying to say. The church right. changed every uh but he he, he makes so the often. argument there that it's possible the possibility exists that the church's condemnation had, had never been lifted and that they forfeited their rights to certain keys and authority and mm-hmm. based on the doctrine and covenants based on LDS scripture based on the words of the Lord to Joseph Smith, well, right? If I'm remembering right. Well, yeah, but I mean, you can read the Book of Mormon and, and see that it doesn't flatter us if we apply it to ourselves. I mean, if we if we take Nephi's advice and liken it to ourselves, <laughs> but it's not flattering to. Luckily, the, it doesn't. The, luckily, it doesn't. Luckily, apply. we don't need to take yeah, Nephi's yeah. advice. Well, it, it applies to everybody else. It's not us. Okay, we're not the Gentiles. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Anyway. I would put Denver in a different category than the the September six. Not, uh, I'd do it for a variety of reasons, but one of those reasons is that he has like a whole fall following, like, and I don't know if you would like that term, following, but people definitely there are a lot of people out there that uh, treat him like, say, Thomas Monson two point or mm-hmm. you know, uh, the latest iteration in. I'm not sure that's something he seeks out, or at least initially yeah. didn't. Um, anyway, you could, you guys can weigh in, in the comments section if you have any comments on, on that. But, uh, we brought, we we're bringing him up because of the restoration edition. You said that nobody had ever put together Joseph's inspired version. These guys got permission from whoever, from the reorganized church or the family and, um, they're Old Covenants and New Testament in the New Covenants. Now, the, by the way, the reason that they put the New Testament and the Book of Mormon together is because Joseph had claimed that was what was intended or was a, based on Revelation. The idea was that the Book of Mormon and the New, New Testament were supposed to be paired as companions. Um, kind of like we do with the Old and New Testament. 
today. Yeah. Like bind them together. Yeah, they were supposed to be bound in one volume. Mm-hmm. And so that's why they've got the new covenants with the Book of Mormon in it. And uh, But yeah, that, that rendering of the Bible material has the... Um, has Joseph the Smith translation. Joseph Smith translation. Just thinking a lot. When they did this, I, I, I followed this when they did the, the, um, <laughs> when they did the, uh, the revision or, ch- the, you know, m- made this version of, of Mormon scripture, which I think it's a really ambitious project. You know, there's a lot of good to be said about it. It's really ambitious because they set out to improve and um kind of a lot of these people are reconceptualize still, what what mormon scripture is a lot of these people are still members of the lds church aren't, aren't they not are they not uh that's a good question i mean i've uh i've definitely circled in in some of these groups and and uh at least become acquainted with them and some are some aren't you know yeah, I, I think, think you that, get kind of all uh, something that like you would get in trouble i think that if you if you express too much union with uh the folks supporting denver or or sure appearing to see you don't i want to be careful because the way i've i've read a lot of denver stuff and i don't take it as that he's trying to set himself up as a replacement for say russell nelson Mm -hmm. because he doesn't make any claim to um the right to run the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That is a, that is a legal corporation uh, soul right. owned by the, the acting president, the, the living president of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Solely owned. Solely owned by that individual, and it passes upon their death to the next, next in line. And uh, along with that legal framework comes all kinds of rights and privileges, right? And the members, every every uh, ward conference, state conference, and general conference, they sustain or they vote as to who that le- that owner is, who that leader is. And, the, and even if we don't kind look of. at it, if we even if we don't look at it that way, that is technically what's going on. So it's not <clears> like he's making any claim. To right. to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and that um, the problem the problem is is that the the way the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints has traditionally handled uh, people with opposing views is via excommunication. It's like cutting them off, pretending they don't exist, ignoring them, in a lot of ways persecuting them. Uh, the first the first such incident occurred when Joseph died and there was a huge schism, right? Half of the saints stayed in the east and half of them moved west. And there were hundreds, if I remember right, hundreds of different groups that spawned out of um, the tradition that Joseph Smith left us. And the if you go to the Kirtland Temple and watch the presentation that the Church of the Community of Christ, which is the new name of the group formerly known as the Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, who owns the Kirtland Temple, they tell their side of the story. So uh, have you ever, you've done the pilgrimage and been back east and been to the church history sites, right? I've not done that. Really? Really, really. Well, if you go to these church history sites, 
what happens is most of them are owned by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day mm-hmm. Saints, the Mormons, mm-hmm. the Mountain Saints is the way some people like to talk about, about Brighamites. them. Brighamites is another good way. Brotheranites. <laughs> they, they've got all of these locations staffed by missionaries, and they won't let you really visit without giving you the indoctrination, mm-hmm. the, the story as per their point of view, right? And because most of the visitors are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, the Mormons, they, South Park, they they uh, they cater to that, right? So a lot of it, a lot of it's implied, but their their history and their ideas are what is um, taught, and it's conveniently omitted that there was a a a, a real fractionation uh, that occurred after Joseph moved on, and so. You can go. You can make the pilgrimage. You can go back to Nauvoo, um, and, and and Nauvoo is interesting because there's the the Joseph Smith home there, and uh, what they call I think the um, the Nauvoo house. There's a couple of there's a couple of uh, buildings still owned by the the reorganized church, the Community of Christ, but um, you know a lot of people don't do the tour there because it costs money. <laughs> And you've got to listen to a reorganized church um, missionary or something like that, tour guide. So I've done this a couple of times. So it's just, it's just interesting, the dichotomy, because you've got the, Mor- the Mormon sites and then the reorganized sites. And they give you a little bit of their history. And I think the Red Brick store is also owned, owned by the reorganized church. You get different... Um, just different things are available in these in these uh, locations. Like there's a there are gift shops mm-hmm. in the reorganized church, and they'll sell you a copy of the Nauvoo Expositor or the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants. These are things that the church, of the more the Mormons won't talk about. You know, right? And um, I know I'm going on and on and on here, but uh, but I find it really interesting because when you get to the Na- when you get to the out of Nauvoo, you got to go further east to Kirtland. You get to the Kirtland Temple. They built this beautiful visitor center there, and they give you the presentation on this screen, and then they pull the screen up, and you're sitting there, and they tell you all about the 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 all of the uh, history from their point of view, and then all of the various groups that that sprang out of of Joseph Smith's Mormonism, and then they lift the curt they lift the screen, and they they pull the curtain back, and the lights don't come on. But you're looking out. You're looking out a, a a huge window directly at the Kirtland Temple in my in sort of majestic mm-hmm. glory. It's really <laughs> uh, they they do they out uh, do they they out showman the Mormons right there <laughs> in that one moment. It's this mo- it's the most amazing thing, and they don't have to do, um, you know. They they really don't have to do much other than give you the tour, and then they'll they'll uh, if you've paid for the tour, they'll take you through the the Kirtland Temple right after they show you that introduction, and you walk out and um, with your tour guide and they and you go through it. It's really quite amazing, and it's interesting. Yeah, I'm just saying it's worth considering the uh, different points of view here. The problem being that if you get too vocal about it, you will be cut off, excommunicated, ostracized, forgotten, <laughs> like, like a guy named Denver Snuffer. 
I, I I think it's interesting. Like like I I said earlier, I I think that some of the some of that uh, uh, splintering that occurred then after the death of Joseph is occurring. Uh, it's happening again today in modern times. People are saying uh, low here, low there. I am of Paul. I am of Jacob, I am of Rusty, I am of, <laughs> and you have, uh, uh, again, if you're paying attention to such things, and maybe I'm reading too much into such things, but there's definitely the, the traditional LDS, Brighamite, pioneer stock, proud Nauvoo stock, I think. And that's the way Denver in, refers Denver, to them, right? In, in Passing the Heavenly Gift. That's the only book of his I've read, but I've read... I think I've listened to most of the 10 talks and I've read some of his other essays and things. I'd like to read the second comforter book that he wrote. I've heard that's quite, mm -hmm. you, you've read that? I've read that. And I've read a lot, by the way. I mean, I've read a lot of Avraham Gileadi. I don't want you to think, I mean, I, I really appreciate Denver's work. I want to say that, but um, there's no but there. It's just, you know, I've also read a lot of Nibley, a lot of Gileadi. Yeah, it, um, it's... Uh, this is this is for the 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 elders quorum when they go, or no for uh, the state when they go through for my disciplinary council for knowing too much about Denver is that <laughs> no I I'm just kidding I, I've actually met Denver and I find him to be an authentic genuine fellow like right. a, a good guy I I think that uh, the fact that he was excommunicated is a dark mark on the it's a stain on on the the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints's record there and and you know i I've, i think i've made it pretty clear i have disagreements with with what we do uh as a in general right and i and i've tried to explain some of my doctrinal differences or whatever you know he so says, i don't think i've i think if you've been if you've been to church with me you know that i've I will speak my mind. So, <laughs> Denver wrote uh, recently, he said, but if you define Mormonism as Joseph Smith did, that is, one of the grand fundamental principles of Mormonism is to receive truth, let it come from whence it may. Well, so end of quote. Well, then, this is still Denver. Well, then all of you who welcome the truth are Mormons, even if that search has alienated you from the LDS church, or in my case, alienated the LDS church from you. If you seek the truth, then you are companions with Joseph Smith and Mormons as he defined it. This is a recent talk? Yeah, in the summertime. Yeah. Oh, this is the, sun, the one he gave at Sunstone this last year? Yeah. Um, but the, uh, let me, let me finish that. my... That's, that's great, yeah. Uh, so I, I think this, this schism or split is happening right now in real time. We've talked about this a little bit. But is it, there's not really much of a split. What it is, it, is, it appears that there's like erosion or something. Like the Church, the, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is losing people. They're hemorrhaging is, I think, the word that has been thrown around right. quietly. Right. And he, Denver's got a theory for that here in this essay, but I, I think there's I guess, a, a few reasons. I guess Denver, Denver deserves mention because there, in his orbit, there's an actual, there's, there's like an actual group going... As opposed to something like, say, because um, I guess you could liken this to. I, I'm interrupting. 
but I, you could liken it to the fundamentalist polygamists around the turn of the century, the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And, and um, my understanding is he's, he's working very hard to try to not set up an organization that can be turned into Warren Jeffs. Right. You know, or whatever. Brigham's, right. Brigham's or, uh, Telestial Kingdom, <laughs> which right. was another Sunstone talk he gave. Right. <laughs> well, this, this, I think the hemorrhaging is, there's a lot of different reasons for that, assuming that it's true. And I think you probably in your own sphere of influence, dear listener, probably have seen that your sacrament meeting attendance is lower than it was a few years ago, maybe. Um, But I I think it's almost a, you have the Josephite crowd and the Brighamite crowd, right? You have, and, and what I mean by that is there's, there's uh, two camps. There's the camp that believes Joseph was not a polygamist, and the camp that believes that he was. Essentially, that means you're, you know, that puts you in the Brighamite camp, meaning that Brigham was the rightful successor, and he just carried forward the work that Joseph started. Mm-hmm. Well, Brigham's, the, and this is the big problem, is Brigham's succession, his rightful succession, his right to the keys, his claim on authority depends entirely upon that narrative being accurate that right. that Joseph transferred the keys to the 12 that Brigham was the rightful president of the 12 that he fully intended for Joseph had fully intended for Brigham to take up the mantle and that then Brigham was doing everything that Joseph had hoped for for the most part right, right. such as plurality of wives right plural wives and that's really the big the big one, right? That because that came to define Mormonism even today. Well, there's one that we don't really talk about, and that is that they left for the West. Too. Right. That was right. that was the big one that allowed them all kinds of flexibility to do things like polygamy. Right. And, and they left it, the like, because they were no longer in the United States. Yeah. Poly- polygamy is the. Um, the wrench in the gears, the fly in the ointment for a lot of people. But I, I want to point out, it's just perhaps the most salacious artifact that came out of them being isolated in the West. They, they, they created, we created, our pioneer ancestors created a very, very closed society. Maybe the, the biggest stain is the Mountain Meadows Massacre. Right. Because, I mean, we're talking about murdering a bunch in, of Missourians in, in, just, just for wandering through. Uh, Why don't you, or aren't on, they from Arkansas? I think they just wanted. You're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. The, a bunch of people who were somehow related, there was some insinuation that they were related to the whole Missouri right. thing. And they, uh, but they, all they were trying to do was get to California. Right. And they, they got killed by the Mormons. So, a- so after being uh, deceived oh. by the Mormons, weren't oh, they yeah. told, yeah, well, we, We'll grant you safe passage, etc. It's terrible. Et that whole episode is just horrific. There's so a, I just want to point out that that's beca- that that was possible because the Mormons came out here and acted like idiots. Okay, <laughs> we got well, really closed. There we the, got really protective. We got we got really defensive. We didn't act like good Christians. There's the Black Hawk War too, which is one of my favorite um, kind of historical hobbies. And that was the war here with the Indians, essentially, the natives. Right. Black Hawk War, because Chief Black Hawk, which uh, Black Hawk Campground, you've probably been to. Yeah. 
<laughs> so is that a, like an Indian burial ground or something? Uh, or yeah. Battleground? I don't or? know, but it's closed a lot. Is that why you can never sleep up there? Yeah. Um, there's a uh, there's a Netflix series called Godless, starring Jeff Bridges. Yeah. He plays a preacher, preacher slash outlaw. Now, uh, alluding to our uh, conversation earlier today, uh, it is R-rated. I'll, I'm going to give that disclaimer. But Jeff Bridges is, uh, as a child, was part of, this is the story, right? His character was part of that uh, uh, settler group that was in the Mountain Meadows Massacre. And he was, his parents were killed and he was raised by a this, Mormon family. Is that it? Yeah. Okay, it's not Jeff Bridges, is it? Or who is it? Uh, you've got a guy named uh, Jack O'Connell, who I think he's the younger guy. It's um, or is it? Is it? I thought it was Jeff, not Jeff Bridges. Jeff Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Okay, yeah, he's in there. Up. Yeah, he's in there. Jeff Daniels plays this preacher outlaw who was a boy, a young boy whose parents were massacred at Mountain Meadows. Okay. And then he's raised by Mormons. This is pretty good. And uh, I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed it. It's a good Western. It's on Netflix. But it is R-rated. I just, you know, disclaimer. TVMA. It's not R-rated. <laughs> so you can watch it if you're Mormon because right. it's only TVMA. <laughs> right. But uh, this, this split is happening... Uh, there's two camps that are very prominent and starting to get more and more voices speaking out. This Joseph was a polygamist or Joseph was not a polygamist. Yeah, and, and that's not, that's not a, a schism that... Uh, well, it's that's, happening. that's not because of Denver is what I want no, to No, no, of course not. No, it's just sort of naturally occurring, but it also... And, and, and it's sort of part of, but it's also independent of these other splits, like where you have the, pro, the progmos and the traditionalists, etc. Well, it's one that nobody wants to really talk about. Well, kind of, but in certain... I mean, like in, in like well, yeah, it's mainstream not gonna, it's Mormonism, not gonna, it's not... Yeah, it's not going to come up in Elders Quorum because the official church stance nowadays is that Joseph was a polygamist. And he lied about it. Yeah, That's well, the they don't. Deal. They don't. They leave that part out, but essentially, by the church saying, officially saying Joseph was a polygamist, they're now the official Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints stance on the founder of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints and the translator of the Book of Mormon. The official stance is that he was a liar. And worse, you, if you follow that, if you pull that thread, not right. only was he a liar, but he was also an adulterer, a right. pedophile, this, a rapist. This is why we don't deceiver. want to talk about it, right? It's because right. It's, it's a hop, skip, and a jump to that. And then that's why a lot of people like, say, John DeLynn, Mormon Stories, Radio Free Mormon, these guys have gone full um, anti mm -hmm. because they, and that's essentially their claim to fame, is that they, they can <clears throat> drag up all kinds of dirt on Joseph. Right, because there, there's the, but there is no primary source material that claims, or contemporary material that claims, that proves or, or even suggests that Joseph was a polygamist. Well, you, you were talking about a lot of, um, a lot of this is popping up nowadays. There's, uh, you mentioned before we started uh, a podcast called 132 Problems, a mm -hmm. lady named Michelle Stone, right? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. 
that that's a pretty good one, isn't it? I haven't I've I've listened to a couple of episodes there, but yeah, her, I haven't gone too deep there. Her whole uh, raison d'être, uh, the whole purpose of her podcast is to explore section 132. It's not it's not that she has 132 problems. When I first heard about her podcast, I was like, oh, this is like a Martin Luther, 99 <laughs> theses? Okay, she's going to tack these to the door of the local stake center? But you probably have to uh, use tape. You know, Back right. in the day, they had wooden doors and tacks. Now we have glass doors, so you use tape. Do not tack anything to the door of your stake center. Yeah, you might just end up shattering the glass or cutting your hand. Yeah, or... something like that. <clears throat> but if you went if inside, you tape, if you were inside, you could probably nail it to the door of the stake president's office. That's sort of wood. Yeah, you could tack it there, or yeah. you could tape it to the secret side door for the stake president's <laughs> yeah, offices. Yeah, the, the stake office door. <laughs> yeah. If your building is a stake center. Yeah. Which it's always good to be the ward that that uh, runs out of a stake center. That means your ward is more important than the other wards. Yeah. yeah. Because you have a better building. But because the sacrament room is bigger, it makes your declining attendance look even worse. but yeah she uh she's got this uh podcast um a a lot of her will link a lot of her from what from the two or three that i've kind of gone through and i've seen some clips a lot of her angle is from the female perspective and the impact that polygamy had on the women and she brought up an interesting point Uh, not only do we have to accept if you accept the church's official stance, that makes Joseph a liar, but it also makes Emma a liar. She pointed that out. I never actually not. And Hiram. Yeah, and Hiram, because Joseph and Hiram are on the record uh, denouncing there have plural been, marriage. Yeah, there have been books written with such you know similar titles, such as exonerating Emma, Joseph, and Hiram. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Rob Fotheringham's done some great work on this subject, and Rob's. A historian. He's very uh, academic and a little bit dry in his presentation, but I like that about it because it's just right to the facts. And he, or as we understand them, and he he pulls, he shows you on his presentations historical documents, doctored up things, changed things, crossing out handwritten notes, <clears throat> crossing right. something out. Something, and the biggest problem, uh, reversing the meaning. The biggest problem with one thirty two is that it materialized years after Joseph was was murdered. And it was supposedly lost in a drawer. And Yeah, Brigham found it. It has some problems. Uh, the, authen- uh, the provenance surrounding Section 132 right. is not great. And it's definitely got some Brighamite signatures in there. It's got some errors. <laughs> like, apparently, this is something I never really noticed or thought about, but it... Claims that Isaac had many wives and concubines. Isaac as in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. Yeah. But apparently he did not. Anyway. According to the Bible. uh, We don't need to make this into a polygamy episode necessarily, but it's it's sort of this catalyst for... Well, this is the pros and cons of Mormonism episode, apparently. Well, it's just... Yeah. (laughs) Since the Babylon Bee left us out, we have to explore the pros and cons of uh, LDS Mormonism. But I think it's a there's a bigger picture here because the the church is experiencing these different factions or or uh, uh, schisms. Well, if you talk about the church hemorrhaging people, 
um, where does that put you? I mean, is this is this safe water to navigate? Like, it's just bizarre to me that we that regular th- th- these aren't discussions going on in uh, elders quorum or something like that. Like, I, we can, probably not. I we wish can't they have, were. We can't have frank discussions about stuff like this. Or maybe it, maybe it is happening in your ward. If you if this is something that gets to gets talked about all the time in your stake or ward, um, let us know. The it's weird though. It's like there's certain things that you just it's like a polite understanding that you can't talk about certain things at church. You'll get you'll get shushed or people get upset or somebody complains or you'll get like a a priesthood leader who well, da 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 da. We you have know, to we remember can't, we can't da, da, we really shouldn't focus on that. You've then, made a covenant like oath when you sustained so and so. But I think, you know, 60% or 70% of the people are now at the point like, no, inquiring minds do want to know. <laughs> well, it, these are things that people are talking about. I remember when uh, when those essays, the, the church has those gospel topic essays, and they're, they're pretty bad. Uh, what I mean by that is they don't do a great job of answering the questions they're supposed to answer. But that was sort of how the church quietly came out as a Joseph was a polygamist uh, in in that camp. Previous, it was sort of uh, we don't talk about it or we don't know. I'll link I'll link to the section on the church's website. These are officially still up. Uh, here's some of the topics: Are Mormons Christian? According to the Babylon Bee, we did not make the list. <laughs> Becoming like God. Book of Mormon and DNA studies, Book of Mormon translation, first vision accounts, Joseph's teachings about the priesthood, temple, and women, mother in heaven, peace and violence among 19th century Latter-day Saints, plural marriage, and race and the priesthood and the historicity of the Book of Abraham. So they hit, this section is often pointed to when questions do come up in meetings, people will say, well, the church addressed that. Just go read, right, go read the gospel the talk. And, and like uh, Bobby points out. Well, for example, if you read the race and the priesthood one, it doesn't actually answer It just the says question. stuff. There's just words, but doesn't actually cut to the core of the matter, which is why, why were blacks restricted from the priesthood? It just doesn't answer that question. Mm-hmm. And I think because the true answer is not flattering. The answer is probably because Brigham was racist. That's probably the answer. But I don't know Brigham Young, so I can't speak to his heart. But again, this is one of those things where it's like, no, it was Joseph. It started with Joseph. No, it started with Brigham. Well, this is provable that Joseph did ordain a black man. Right. So, And Joseph's on the record, as, as accurate as we can accept it. Of, uh, he, was, he was anti-slavery. Yeah, he was running, he, uh, running he, on he, that platform he, for the presidency. One of the major parts of his platform was to sell public land. Purchase the slaves. Purchase from the, slave the slaves with that money. To set them free. And set them free, yeah. Which might have might have uh, averted the war between the states. <laughs> might have averted that, and all that followed—the sharecropping, the war on poverty, the war on really the black family—that uh, FDR and 
Who knows what others uh, instituted? Who knows what would have changed? Lyndon Johnson. Who knows, right? Uh, by the way, um, <laughs> I found a, a political cartoon, and uh, it was from the around the turn of the century, right? The the nineteen hundreds. It was either late eighteen nineties or nineteen hundreds, and it was a political cartoon, and it had two pillars like kind of Roman columns. And this was the Republican Party, official Republican Party platform at the time. And it said something to the effect of, we're going to eliminate the two columns of barbarism, slavery and polygamy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, at the time of uh, the manifesto and things, like this was a big deal in the United States. Polygamy was a huge deal. Not just Mormon polygamy, but but Mormons may have been more, the uh, most obvious or prominent practitioners, but it was a big deal. But anyway, Joseph ran on anti-slavery. He's you know he, there's a lot of quotes from him essentially saying all men are created equal. He was a big believer in the Constitution. Came from that that Vermont liberty tradition. Um. But again, there's this, there's this kind of uh, schism, I keep calling it, between the Josephites and the Brighamites. And it's, it's existing. And the, the institution, the church itself, has to go with Brigham. It has to, right? Well, the, the, the mountain saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, <clears throat> has traditionally... <laughs> has traditionally defended Brigham extensively because the, and this is the, that we've, we've painted ourselves into a corner here because, because we claim papal authority transferred from one man to another, Brigham has to be viewed as having carried the torch for Joseph, well, carried and, on the legacy. And, that, and so, so if we find out that he was not faithful to Joseph's legacy, the church's claim to uh, succeed him, so it's the succe <clears throat> succession issue well, that, the su that falls. And that succession policy, it was an invention of Brigham. The senior apostle becomes the president. That was something that, how long was, Br how long was Brigham Young president of the church? It was a long time, right? Oh, yeah. I was recently at the Church History Museum in Salt Lake City. Like 30 years or something, or... 25 years because he he wasn't he was made president he was voted as president he he, he suggested that they vote him in as president uh a few years after joseph died i think it was um 1847 am i i don't know i would i was at the museum and they have a little display for each of the uh presidents of the church and some of those guys were served a long, like Heber J. Grant, I think was the president for like 25, 27 years or something. Mm -hmm. Oversaw a lot of, uh, quite an interesting era, right? That post-World War I mm -hmm. into World War II. I think he died in 1944 or something, but, and then so, some, some of these guys were only the president for a couple of years. Yeah. Brigham died eight, uh, 1877. Um, he was the president from 1847 to 1877, so about 30 years. 
And, and one of his things was, and he kind of tinkered with this, if I'm remembering my history, he, but he came up with the idea that the senior apostle would become the next president. Right? Uh, that's a, that's a good, um, item for investigation discussion here. How, how it came to be the senior apostle. If I'm remembering right, there was sort of some iterations of, of the, of the policy. And I think that, cause didn't he want to, didn't he, he, he made his son an apostle and was going to try to. I don't remember. He was trying to wrangle it so that he would be the so next that he guy. would be the next guy. And basically, you create a young family uh, uh, dynasty. Dynasty. And I think there was some pushback to that, and so eventually they they settled on senior apostle. And I I think that's a Fotheringham presentation. But I found it interesting. But Brigham Brigham had some interesting sons. <laughs> we don't need to go into that. But but anyway, where where are we going with this today? Oh, just kind of a meandering through um, uh, Brigham and what, Joseph's differences between. Well, I guess I guess for me that it's not so much the differences between Brigham and Joseph as it is what that implies today and how there are these camps today forming. And are they the same camps? Are they different than the other sort of splinter groups that are happening under the umbrella of the church? The, like I mentioned before, the, the progmos, right? The progressive Mormons, the leftists, the well, guys the, the protesting, you know, certain social issues. The thing that's sad to me is that you have... Um, You've got this juggernaut. Let's call it a juggernaut, right? What's who's juggernaut in the comics? He's the guy that once he gets going, you can't stop him, right? He's yeah, got yeah. Uh, he's got momentum. That's a juggernaut. It's hard to stop. A, a train type. A train. And so the you you could consider the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints the the corporation a juggernaut. It's got all kinds of money. It's got momentum. It's got power. It's got it's it's got uh, institutional um, credentials. Mm-hmm. You've got all these institutional programs that are working. You know, it owns the buildings, the real estate, the programs, etc. It's the juggernaut, and if it, it has made this claim that it's essentially the only flamer flavor of uh mormonism <laughs> it's it's essentially put forth this idea over the last many generations that we're the only game in town right which i think is as i pointed out is one of those interesting aspects of the kirtland temple presentation so hey by the way there are other people descended from joseph's um charismatic vision and so what i think because you get sort of uh, g- growing up in the church, if you if you were if you if you grew up in the church and you were active, you know what we do. Every four years, we cycle through a uh, different part of the standard works, and you go to seminary and you, you go to church every Sunday, and the 
the curriculum is is the same every year. Every month you focus on a different one of 12 items, such as God, Jesus Christ, Holy Ghost, the prophet, um, missionary work, temple work, et cetera, et cetera. This goes on tithing. You know, there's there's a there's a focus every month, and then it and it applies to one of the four iterations of the standard works, you know, the Book of Mormon, the Bible, the Doctrine and Covenants of Pearl Great Price, etc. And that's every other week. The other weeks. Well, yeah, we've changed this, but but like if you grew up in the church, so the the, the two-hour block is a very recent happening, right? So part of the Nelson era of right. rapid change. So but, but if you if you think back to what you received if you grew up in this tradition, you mm-hmm. received a cyclical indoctrination, right. a, a re-emphasis of these particular principles every year, and um, it's very basic, right? Mm-hmm. And so um, because the church has essentially painted that particular picture without, with, without very many colors, people don't have uh, a deep... Um, I want to use the color palette as an example. They don't have a, a broad set of colors with which to to understand what really happened in Mormonism. So they're caught blindsided by a lot of these things because we don't give we don't give everybody a very in depth um, understanding of the the vast spectrum of ideas that exist relative to what what went on in early church history and what Mormonism really is, which, you know, I I would love to use Denver's Sunstone talk as sort of a uh, basis for the rest of the discussion because, you know, he says Mormonism is truth. It's all truth. Who's he quoting? Joseph Smith. That's, That's a solid quote. You know, you're Mormon if you're interested in truth. And I thought, you know, I was raised, I thought, to be that person. And so when I found truth in places that were um, unorthodox, I felt I had every right to embrace those. The point, the the difficulty for me was going to the unorthodox places, caring to look, because it's like, oh no, we're, we're doing the right thing. You're kept so busy with the regular cycle of what's going on that you don't really spend much time looking in those other places. And if you if you grew up in the church and you served a mission, got married or whatever, you probably got put in the Young Men's Young Women's program. You probably got put in the primary. So you didn't have a lot of time to think uh, from an adult perspective about anything beyond the basics because you were too busy giving it to the next generation, right? So when you have time to think about those things, a lot of people get blindsided. And my, my point for rambling along with all this context is that most people just leave. They drop Mormonism. That's the problem with the way we've handled uh, our history is that people are ill-equipped to to uh, want to... The church is incapable of keeping people interested because it's so tightly orthodox. It's It's just so... We just we know what the program is. You know what it is. You know what you're going to get at church. You're not going to get any interesting discussion. And so, who who's going to want to go back when they have when they have all these questions and they realize we're just regurgitating the same stuff all the time, 
right? So then they leave, and the, and the only people willing to talk about it, the, or the people that have the biggest voice, are the anti-Joseph crowd, like the Mormon Stories crowd, or, mm-hmm. um, you know, if if they if they stop if they stop associating with the institution, then that's the people that they get, and so they drop Mormonism altogether. This these these fringe groups that uh, have maintained a desire to uh, keep the tradition of Joseph Smith alive, that's a, that's a vast minority, I think. You know, this, the church doesn't have to worry too much about, um, like, Denver Snuffer and the crowd associated with him, bec- unless they get too charismatic, right? The, the problem is, is the char- charisma is contagious. So it looks like there's something going on there because people are having experiences, Right, right, right. and uh, they're proving that uh, there's life in the teachings of Joseph Smith, especially the stuff that's that's being dis- discarded, disregarded, you know, sidelined, whatever. So, well, and the Book of Mormon, and the Book of Mormon itself, yeah. So that's the problem I think with that crowd is that they they punch higher than their weight class because that's I, I that's. I love Joseph Smith. I love Mormonism because there's such cool stuff there, right? You know, and so you, you people people like us, I guess, if if we get crosswise with leadership, um, they have to, you know, carefully figure out a way to make sure that we don't influence anybody else, which usually ends up being excommunic- excommunication because. If you haven't thrown out Joseph Smith, this is really exciting. But what's so terrible about the way we're acting is most people on a, on on mass on average, most people are just leaving and throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Right, and so they don't go anywhere. There's this is what I was getting to is it's there's not like a competing option. There's mm-hmm. not a good big competing option that everybody knows about where they can say, oh, you know what? Yeah, I do want version uh c or d of mormonism and i'll just go go to that joel osteen megachurch version of mormonism like there is with all these other flavors of christianity that right. the, the babylon b pointed out you can't just choose the different lutheran flavor because you like that and and that's sad because it le- i think it it distances tons of people from joseph smith's um Teachings, or, well, the, or it, it, what I think are true Christianity. Well, and the, if, the, you, if you believe such things as uh, the Lord says, it, fools hold Joseph in derision, and that uh, I think we're seeing that is, it, like you said, people people have a problem with um, something modern with the church, such as their policy on tithing or whatever, or children of gay couples being baptized or not. And so they, they, leave the, they leave it all. They throw out the Book of Mormon, and they condemn Joseph. I've even heard, like John DeLynn, I don't listen to him a lot. I don't really like his tone. I don't like his Again, angle. John DeLynn's the guy that does Mormon Stories podcast. Right, right. And he got excommunicated, and he's what you would consider a progmo, right? Explain what a yeah, progmo well, is. Well, progressive Mormon leftist a leftist meaning they're trying to they they these are people like the the ordained women crowd they want to bring the church into the progressive leftist camp which is the lgbtq gender confusion which honestly like 
those, Democrat Party. Those people ought to be really pleased with the progress the church is making. Well, that's what I was going to ask. The church is, has gone left on every single social issue. They've well, that, gone be, left on. But it 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 seems to mirror. Uh, popular society. There's been some sort of a Kool-Aid drunk in the last many years that the Five. the corporate media <laughs> gave everybody. Right. And now we have this culture schism between team reality and team choose your gender. Right. Team government or team media. Yeah. It, it, well, it's interesting that this, this this the theme of the Sunstone conference that Denver spoke at was mainstreaming of Mormonism. And they should have, I think they were all rejoicing that that's what was happening. It's just not happening as fast as they want. Right. You can never, you can never please a progmo. And I would guess the most of the people at Sunstone are, are leftist, politically left people now. Denver is, is invited there and he speaks and that, that... Well, what's interesting that, about Denver's talk at Sunstone is that he... He probably made everybody mad. Basically made everybody mad. Not just them, but that, that his point was right. that the mainstream, the mainstreaming the church is bad. <laughs> he, says, he says in this speech, he says, as for the LDS church, the hope to mainstream their organization has resulted in two things happening simultaneously. First, the original form of Mormonism is being abandoned. Second, political, social, economic, and moral trends of modernity are replacing it. And then he says the traditional believers' voices are no longer dominant, or no long, no longer dominate LDS meetings, conferences, and lessons. True or false? Do you agree with him there? I'd agree. Yeah, I do too, and I think that's what we've been talking about. Like, it's, well, what's worse is we've become a. a I, I'll be honest, I told my elders corn president it was insulting that we all we did every six months was pick conference talks to talk about. Right. Because they're becoming so low and vulgar, base. Uh, this is what Joseph Smith said about our conferences. It's fair to quote Joseph Smith. He said, our conferences will become trifling, low and vulgar, you know, unbecoming well, uh, the, the uh, dignified character uh, of people who profess to be the saints of God. You know? Well, it creates, um, it creates a congregation of complacent and lazy people. What, but we kind uh, of have been that for a long time. It's just that right. we, were, we were ripe for the picking, right? Because like if, if you're asked to teach an elders quorum and the topic is given to you as the October 2023 talk given by elder such and such, well, your lesson's done. You just, you're going to pick up that talk Sunday morning, and you're going to find two or three quotes. You're going to circle them, and then you're just going to hope for a good discussion. See, I like to just find one quote, read it, and then just talk about what I want to talk about. <laughs> right, but they don't but, let me teach elders corn anymore. But you're different. And so you sit there, and it's like, today I'm gonna, we're going to talk, we're going to discuss, you know, every other the, the sacrament meeting uh, this last yesterday. This was, last yesterday? This last yesterday. I was going to say last Sunday, but that was just yesterday. Have we said the date today? What is today? November 27th, 2023. But yesterday, there was the High Council speaker, and I'll give you one guess as to what he talked about. Think celestial. Ding! <laughs> yeah. To be perfectly honest, I was not there. <laughs> but that talk has been getting the 
you know, they're making the rounds. It's the new buzzword. It's it, and, and I sat there and I, I, I started laughing because this is a phrase that none of us have uttered in our entire lives. We've never even thought the phrase, think celestial. Well, we've, we've had the phrase, though, eternal perspective. Sure, but this is very specific, right? We've never uttered those words like that. Well, yeah, you can't trademark eternal perspective when it was said, when you have so much prior right. usage. Then President Nelson gets up and says it in one talk 29 times or whatever the number was, and we just repeat it. For six months. Right. And then he'll give, a, if he lives to April, and he'll give a new talk with a new buzzword, but it'll stick around, right? Just like Covenant Path and uh, a few others. But I just thought, are we just that easily programmed? Are we so, are we that just open book where it's like, think celestial, think celestial, and then we all just go, think celestial. It's like we're just hypnotized. And I think that, which leads me to wonder, like, are we just programmable people? Is that why the CIA and the FBI love, love the Mormons? Because we can just be given a command and we just do it without thinking. But it, the, as far as our spiritual health and our journeys, our, our investigation, we're just so lazy about it. And, and I have been in the past, and I'm trying to fix that. Because we just... Everything is just handed to us from the prophet president. Here you go. Think celestial. Okay, I've got to, this talk is so amazing. Well, what and was we've the completely last one, six months ago? Yeah, I would say we've completely abandoned his call for peacemakers. That was the April one, that was right? The April peacemakers. We've got to be well, peacemakers. Well, that's because uh, the Hamas guys invi- invaded the Israel guys <laughs> and vice versa. And so we've gone from, well, we need peacemakers needed to think celestial, which... What does that even mean? Well, you you know you can you can look at Nelson's definitions and his examples, I guess. And but it certainly doesn't mean what Joseph talked about, which is pondering the utmost heavens and the and the darkest abyss and communing with God. Thou, O oh man, must commune with God, right? Like that's what he said. That sort of thing, and I think that's maybe what Denver's getting at when he says the original form of Mormonism is being abandoned. What is the original form of Mormonism? Polygamy. (laughs) (laughs) And lies? Well, lie for the Lord. (laughs) Right. That was a thing. You know that, right? Oh, I know. Lie for the Lord was a thing during the the polygamy days. Cease and desist order, SEC. For an example of lying for the Lord <laughs> and lying to us to protect us, but the what is original? Let, let's talk about that for a minute. What is the original form of Mormonism, and is it being abandoned? I would say yes, it is being abandoned. And I think it's uh, I, I, like I said, I was up in Salt Lake and we went to the Church History Museum. We went to see the Minerva Tykert exhibit. And it was well done. We're, we're big fans of Minerva Tykert and our family, and maybe someday I'll tell that story. But uh, I stepped out of the museum right there, and you're looking straight at the Salt Lake Temple, right to the east of the museum. And that temple, that temple is one of the most recognizable buildings in the country, if not the world. People see that and they know, well, that's the Mormons. The Mormons. 
And right now that building is completely covered in scaffolding. Like it's unrecognizable. And I understand that they're renovating, rebuilding it from the ground up, literally. But they took it off of its foundation. I think it's the symbolism was not lost on me. Yeah. That it's covered up. Well, and it's fundamentally changing. And here you have this this symbol, this icon of American. Uh, pioneer spirit, this icon of Mormonism, the very symbol of Mormonism, the thing that regular people on the street, if you showed them that picture, would know. Mm-hmm. That's, oh yeah, I'm not sure where that is, is that, but that's the Mormons, right? A lot of people would say that. And here it is being completely changed from the ground up. And I, the symbolism is, for me, it's there. And maybe, like I said, maybe I read too much into this, but I don't think so, because what you have happening right now is more so than maybe any time in our history other than the Brigham era, you have Mormonism being, well, in Denver's word, is abandoned, but you have Mormonism being changed in the, in, uh, so much so that we're not even supposed to use the word Mormon, because that's a victory for Satan. <laughs> <laughs> like, 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 and, and so, yeah, traditional, original form of Mormonism is being abandoned. So what, what is the original form of Mormonism? Well, that's the question. I think that a lot of the people discussing this online, mostly, you know, I guess and in person, like we are, that's what we're, we're asking, you know, does it include, uh, is the history that was put together in the late 1800s accurate? Or was that partially accurate with um, a lot of modifications that make Brigham look like the uh, rightful successor to Joseph so that we could make the claim to being the only true church on the face of the earth? Having the, the only ones having the authority to baptize, mm-hmm. to save your soul. Well, the, the current senior leadership relies on Brigham being the successor because they, they're just another in a long line of that succession tradition. Yeah. Well, holding the keys, having the right to uh, manage the temples and um, provide, quote-unquote, saving ordinances, mm-hmm. TM, or actually R, registered <laughs> trademark, right? That's what it says in the handbook. Mm-hmm. You've got to have the authority, the keys delegated to you or given to you to be able to perform those ordinances. Right. But see, I, I think it's an important distinction that original Mormonism wasn't Brigham Young. Right? Brigham, Brigham changed. Brigham was involved in original Mormonism. Yeah, he was involved. But when he it was comes, he it, was put on the the uh, traveling high council, right? The quorum of the twelve by right, Joseph, wasn't right. he? He was asked to be one of the those right. people by Joseph. And then he got ideas, right? This is this is the theory, right? Or or one camp, right? He got ideas in England, or the Cochranites put the idea in. What was it? Nine of the twelve were involved with the Cochranites. Or, or uh, preached among them, 
Yeah, there, you can listen to Michelle Stone, Rob Fotheringham, get that whole history. I don't have it right on the tip of my and tongue. And who are here, they, but, if I'm remembering right, who are they? Well, they were proponents and practitioners of plural marriage. Right. Brigham was the one associated <clears throat> with those people, not Joseph. Right. My point being is that, that again, uh, Denver Snuffer makes the point that right now under... President Nelson were experiencing more change than ever before other than the Brigham period. Is that in the Sunstone talk you referenced? Yeah. I'll link to that. And I think he, he was interviewed by Michelle Stone, and I think he bring, makes the same point. But, but So again, we're going, what is the original form of Mormonism? I don't think polygamy is part of the original form of Mormonism. Well, the, I don't think that even the, what we now call the temple endowment we don't know what Joseph instituted in the temple. What we have now came from Brigham. Right. And where did he get it from? Well, that's a, converse, that's a conversation people are having as well. Well, this is why we claim you need to get a testimony of the current prophet, because then you can know that God's just updating his instructions for us in this day and age. Right, the uh, and, continuing and, yeah, restoration. You continuing revelation, continuing restoration. That's the, that's the question. Is, uh, was what, is what's going on godly right now? Because the claim is that the current president of the church is receiving all these uh, ideas uh, from God for, for your benefit. Right. And if you feel uncomfortable, that makes it easy, right? If well, it makes again it it creates um, lazy automatons. Yeah, but it makes it easy because you don't. Yeah, it's super easy. You just need to get. Uh, I've heard this said before in church. You know why? Well, I, I don't have to question every single thing that's said by the prophet or the president, um, because I got a testimony of him by the Holy Ghost when he was called, and so mm-hmm. now I know he's God's guy and right when the prophet speaks the thinking is done yeah yeah it's 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 very logical right it's very logical if you believe that you're supposed to put that kind of trust in a man right it's logical if you want to it's 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 the haney you know i call it now the haney doctrine haney that's elder haney gave the talk where he said you know the the words of dead prophets don't age like comic books. Okay. Uh, and had people crushing their water bottles a certain way because allegedly Russell Nelson crushes his water bottles a certain way in the cafeteria at the church office right. building. Well, look, uh, look, this is this is not new. I mean, you could call it the Benson Doctrine. He gave a talk um, in 1980 entitled 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet. Mm-hmm. Number one... The prophet is the only man who speaks for the Lord in everything. Number two, the living prophet is more vital to us than the standard works. Now, he allegedly was rebuked for giving this talk and was forced behind closed doors to apologize to the 12, (laughs) to the 15, for giving this talk. But it stands. But today... And I think Spencer Kimball was the president of the church at that time, and Today, people look at this and, and treat it differently. All right. Number three, the living prophet is more important to us than a dead prophet. 
Number four, the prophet will never lead the church astray. Number, do you, want, do you want me to keep going? Uh, I think most of our Everybody, listeners are, fam- are familiar, it. but it, it is it. a it's a watershed moment because it it sort of canonized some of these ideas. I mean, when we were kids, and and I assume the primary kids today still, we would literally chant. We call it singing, but it was a chant. Follow the prophet. Follow the prophet. He knows the way. Now. You had that going on when you were a kid? Because I don't remember that song when oh, I was yeah. a kid. Oh, yeah. sing that all the time. At you, least I remembered. Maybe my memories are... Clouded by all the clouded. years that you were stuck in. Follow the prophet, follow the prophet. He, can't, he won't lead us astray. So, yeah, I, don't, I thought that that was a... Did it come around later? Yeah, the follow the prophet song. Maybe it was when I was in the primary, you know, serving as an adult. But it, it's certainly out there. Let's see. Well, yeah, I remember. I have a good memories of singing Book of Mormon stories that my teacher tells to me, and then we would go, e, 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 all about the Lamanites in ancient history. E, e, e. And yeah, then we'd, I think then, it's 1989. And then we'd get in trouble. No, no, stop. You guys got to be reverent. We can't do the e, e, e. Yeah, they, there were certain <laughs> songs that were in vogue when I was younger that are not in vogue anymore, right? Like that one. Uh, Jesus wants me for a sunbeam. Can they still sing that? I'm sure they can. The kids pop up. Yeah, sunbeam. <laughs> but at least the kids were engaged, right? Yeah. So maybe follow the prophet wasn't. Uh, maybe we didn't sing that when we were kids. I guess that was a little later. And I guess that's the power of programming right there. <laughs> yeah. But but. Uh, I think the last 20 years, you've gotten this, this a real heavy dose of follow the prophet. In the last five years, it's become ins- insanely over the top, insanely over the top in the Nelson era. I mean, I think uh, Neil Anderson gave a talk where he quoted Nelson like 38 times or something. We could try I to I hope find it wasn't that. Think Celestial every time. No, this was earlier on. Yeah. And well, no. of course, Anderson's the one who recently said, "Who else could you trust more than him? He's the president, and even if he weren't, boy, what a guy!" <laughs> this Golly this gee. was this was essentially um, Denver's assertion in passing the heavenly gift that that the fourth phase of Mormonism that we have been in since David O. McKay correlated Mormonism was that the cult of personality surrounding the current prophet. And he points out that we didn't call the president of the church the prophet until David O. McKay. It was mm-hmm. always, the prophet was always Joseph. Right. Joseph prophet the prophet. Joseph. Yeah. And so things have, things have changed and that, that has gained serious momentum. Like that is, I think that is the thing. I mean, from conversations with people, with missionaries, you know, members of the church, missionaries, et cetera, that I've had uh, in the last little while, if if you bring up anything interesting, it all comes down to Russell M. Nelson. It's like, right. yeah, but yeah, but Russell M. Nelson. Right. We have we have Russell Nelson. What do you? But what do you think about Russell Nelson? 
And if you give the wrong answer there, then you then it's clear to the person you're talking to that you're not to be trusted. You're you're unfaithful because you don't view that guy the way they view them. Right, and it really doesn't matter if it's Russell Nelson or or somebody else. In in, in a little while, it'll be Dallin Oaks, right? Well, I'm just pointing out that those are the right. actual conversations, right? Yeah, you, know, you know, you could do a man on the street interview down at BYU or right at your local ward. <laughs> You'd get kicked out of your ward. You get kicked out of the campus at BYU too, probably. But like, but, we're, we're, that's I mean, that's one thing we've we've been positing, questioning, asking about is what are we really? What are we really? Because, you know, Bobby and I find ourselves more fish out of water. It's like, you, you know, you know how your, your comments are going to be received. Well, at least I do, because I've made the comments in <laughs> church. And it's like, it's like, okay, that, that didn't go over well. I didn't necessarily expect it to go over well, but it, w- am I the only one thinking this? And I know I wasn't. In some cases, I'll, I would get people come up and say, oh, thank you for saying that or whatever. And then, and then you also get the whole, you can't say that. You know, there, there are kids here. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't. So have we so, have we defined what we think original Mormonism is? <clears throat> well, all truth is what Joseph said. I think an elevator pitch would be, <clears throat> or on that would be, the doctrine or the idea that men can commune with God, and, right, and receive revelation from God directly. The Book of Mormon is and then the, and part then of the, that. The principles and precepts taught in the Book of Mormon, you know, which which. Shores lectures up on, that idea. Lectures on faith is part of that original Mormonism. And what's the central theology of the Book of Mormon? It's that Jesus is the Christ and that he will save us if we b- approach right. him with a pure heart, a contrite spirit. The 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, that's those sections which did not include 132. In fact, the section on marriage there in is section 101 in the 1835 Doctrine and Covenants, and it says... We believe it's between one man and but one woman. Right. And that little but in there has been something that people will say, yeah, that, that right there excuses polygamy. <laughs> one man, a woman shall have but one husband and the man, sh- or no, a woman shall have one husband and the man shall have but one wife. Right. Which means multiple wives. Well, the, the Book of Mormon's pretty clear on on polygamy well regardless no the book of mormon yeah how, how often do we talk about the book of mormon in in sacrament meeting anymore because is it getting mentioned in conference no right not, not a lot not very much is joseph smith being mentioned very much no eternal progression is it being mentioned very much is uh king follett the king follett discourse mentioned ever was i the last person to read that in church, <laughs> Elder Bednar quoted it a couple conferences ago, but really? it's kind of funny. He he was like in his sermon known as the King Follett Discourse, Joseph Smith said, and it was a real like common quote that you often hear. He didn't. It was. It wasn't really milk. part. <laughs> it wasn't part of the, you know, the real stuff of the sermon. Okay. But, but I thought, well, at least he named it by name. Yeah. You know that that might maybe someone there on their couch might go. Huh? That was for all the. 
who was king what was he king of (laughs) that's for all of us uh, out there that like it that we say yes see they're still talking about it (laughs) see they're still talking about it but they're not in the sense that they're not taking these these sermons from joseph and really elaborating or um, enlightening us about them right nor they do, nor do they really do that with the Book of Mormon. I remember when when COVID hit and we all went, we you know we all got locked into our houses and we were alone together and safe and effective and two weeks to slow the spread. Safe and effective came later, right? Right. But and, and church shut down and I remember thinking, so there were other churches out there in the world who were doing YouTube long before the Mormons did it, but during this time they they were well equipped to continue their you know, uh, their Sunday meetings. They were just all gathering on YouTube or Zoom because they were already doing that. They were broadcasting their their uh, Sunday services on YouTube anyway. We don't do that because it hurts our attendance numbers, and attendance numbers are how you get your budget. So you kind of have a lot of people in attendance so you get your money. Anyway, I remember thinking, certainly our senior leaders are going to take this opportunity to since they aren't traveling and they aren't doing their regular duties, what, what such as they are, whatever those daily things might be, certainly we're going to get like lectures, sermons, uh, Sunday school lessons on, you know, on the scriptures. And I, I pictured like Bednar, Elder Bednar, in front of a whiteboard, you know, teaching a class, an imaginary class, and then the church releasing that. And of course, none of that happened. Nothing. Mm-hmm. The church went dark. Like uh, we didn't hear. And maybe your mileage may vary, but w- we didn't hear a word from our bishop or stake president for months. It was yeah, kind I of, didn't. It was kind of funny. And then, and I think the stake president finally sent an email out, and he's like, "Ah, oh, sorry for the non-communication." It's like, yeah, you you guys were, you guys were were out for like two months and didn't hear a word and. And I, I remember just being kind of disappointed. Like, this was a great opportunity. Now, I think home church was awesome. But I think it was, a, it was an opportunity missed for these guys that are claimed to be great teachers and special witnesses of Jesus Christ to really uh, do something unorthodox that would have been really easy for them to do, right? In theory. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we didn't get that. And, and I, again, I just think that this sort of, uh, again, it's Joseph's quote, like the, ponder and contemplate the, the highest heavens and the, and the deepest dark abyss. The darkest abyss. Thou mind, O man, must commune with God. I think, we've, we've, I think we're, we're losing that, or maybe we've already lost it. Because of the the Haney doctrine, the fall of the prophet doctrine, the fourteen fundamentals, it's it's made us so uh, content. And all we need to do is is read the latest conference talk from the current president, and that's the same thing as contemplating the highest heavens, and the same as communing with God. And I don't I don't think it is. Uh, and I and I think it even goes beyond just studying Joseph Smith. But it, it, what it means is actually contemplating. What does that word mean? It means to ponder and to pray and to speculate and to think and to search the deeper things. Right? We 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 love to 
ignore the deeper things, right? Uh, I remember like when we were growing up, it was sort of like, well, we don't need to have conversation about deep doctrine. That doesn't say the, mysteries, the, the mis- mysteries. Don't, don't, don't worry about the mysteries. It doesn't matter how many angels can fit on the head of a pin. It's like, well, no one, nobody asks, no one's that. asking <laughs> that. Who cares about that? What I want to know is, is what did Joseph mean when, well, listen, you know, when me, he said we it. could be, we need to be trained and prepare to become gods ourselves. Let, let, you know? let me let me read this real quick. This is section three from Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith because you've been you've been um, doing a good job alluding to it, paraphrasing it. But let, let's let's read what it's uh, a great quote. Let's read what uh, Joseph Fielding Smith uh, reported that he had said. Um, was it Joseph Fielding Smith that edited this? Um. Think so? Yeah, Joseph Fielding Smith. So I don't want to get this messed up. Sometimes you just say stuff. Section three, this is 1838-1839, page 137. He says, A fanciful and flowery and heated imagination beware of, because the things of God are of deep import, and time and experience and careful and ponderous and solemn thoughts can only find them out. Thy mind, O man, if thou wilt lead a soul into salvation, must stretch as high as the utmost heavens and search into and contemplate the darkest abyss and the broad expanse of eternity. Thou must commune with God. How much more dignified and noble are the thoughts of God than the vain imaginations of the human heart? None but fools will trifle with the souls of men. And then he goes on and he says, How vain and trifling have been our spirits, our conferences, our councils, our meetings, our private as well as public conversations, too low, too mean, too vulgar, too condescending for the dignified characters of the called and chosen of God according to the purposes of his will from before the foundation of the world. We are called to hold the keys of the mysteries of those things that have been kept hid from the foundation of the world until now. Some have tasted a little of these things, many of which are to be poured down from heaven upon the heads of babes, yea, upon the weak, obscure, and despised ones of the earth. Therefore we beseech you, brethren, that you bear with those who do not fill themselves more worthy than yourselves, while we exhort one another to a reformation with one and all, both old and young, teachers and taught, both high and low, rich and poor, bond and free, male and female. Let honesty, sobriety and candor and solemnity and virtue, pureness, meekness and simplicity crown our heads in every place and in fine become as little children without malice, guile or hypocrisy. So we could spend hours unpacking that whole thing and right, talking but isn't about. It, isn't it easier just to say, "Think celestial"? <laughs> but but that's not what he said. He gave examples of what <laughs> thinking celestial means. Right. Right. It means do your home teaching. Right. Or do your do your ministering. No, I Here, know. I, I'm being a little facetious. I know. I know. I know. Because but, that's that shows the difference between then and now. And but he he says it. How much more dignified and noble are the thoughts of God than our vain imaginations and our trifling with the souls of men. How vain and trifling have been our spirits. I think this applies not in 1838 and 1839 any less or more than it does today. Our conferences, our councils, our meetings, are we searching into and contemplating the darkest abyss in the broad expanse of eternity? Are we telling people, thou must commune with God? And I think it, a lot of people would say, yes, of course. It says that 
if you will lead a soul to salvation, this is what you must do. Right. And I, I don't think we're taking that instruction to heart as much as we could. Because we, we pay lip service to certain things like, well, like to Jesus. But then we don't really contemplate and ponder him and his teachings, what his life actually meant. It's almost like he's become the mascot or the logo <laughs> of the church <laughs> rather than the, the heart and soul of it. Yeah. Well, I, I think that the... And I don't mean just the LDS church, although, you know, the logo is a... Uh, you know what I'm alluding to. Yeah. But I think just Christianity in general as well. It's... Yeah. It's like the you know it's the Jesus is my homeboy T-shirts. Remember those? Yeah. <laughs> like it's it's like okay, that's a, that's kind of funny. That's kind of whatever. I I've heard though. I want to say this point. I heard I've heard that there's a prevailing idea amongst priesthood leadership that their job is to get you to the temple, and that um, all of this stuff that I we just read from Joseph Smith is what you then do in private or something. You mm-hmm. they lead you there and then mm-hmm. this is the stuff you don't talk about. You do it in you you do it at home or whatever. Or for five minutes in the celestial room uh, or, at the temple. Because uh, yeah. that's the only place you can talk to anybody or think. But but that that if that's really the point that okay, yeah, that's what our intention is, then why all the focus on uh conference talks and um follow the prophet is it uh, you can't just come back and say because we're supposed to get you to the temple because mm-hmm. that even though that is a huge emphasis right that mm-hmm. that's a big emphasis right now temple building and um temple going temple going but why do you go to the temple to right. do the work for the dead right right there the explanation is that that that, uh, that could qualify as a vain repetition if if the if you've taught people the wrong intention, right? That that you're right. If you tell people what the outcome is before they receive it, if you tell them what the scriptures mean before they read it, then you have perverted, well, and thoroughly the, changed the the doctrine. Even the things in the temple, we're not really supposed to ponder over, or contemplate, and even if we do, there's not a soul on earth who has a answer to some of the questions people might have, like. Why do we do certain things in the temple? Well, and let me qu- clarify. You've thoroughly changed it if you change the scripture, right? right? If you if you change the intent, it's possible to teach correct understanding. Uh, but that's the big question: is that are, are we are we even teaching it? Are even we even talking about it? Are we or are we um, modifying in a modifying the doctrine in a way the the scriptural stuff in a way that it supports what we're doing today. Right. That's the question. Here's some clarification on what we talked about a few minutes ago, the Cochranites and that talk or that quote that you brought up. Mm-hmm. This is a, from a footnote from the Denver Sinopher sermon speech. It says uh, Brigham Young, Willard Richards and Wilford Woodruff said they got a testimony of plural wives while missionaries in England. And as a side note, there, that <laughs> there's speculation on what that actually means. I'll let you imagine the vain imaginations okay. of men. Well, there are whole sections of William Clayton's journal that are blacked out. Right. From, uh, there was a lot of feet washing going on. <laughs> right. If you read that. Right. 
So, and then, okay, this is Denver again. The origin of polygamy is far more likely from the Cochranites of Seiko, Maine. Jacob Cochran thought seven women shall take hold of one man, authorized sexual license, and he disregarded traditional marriage as unnecessary. Nine of the 12 LDS apostles served mission among these people. Then he says, this is, however, is beyond the scope of this talk. But then he, he brings up that quote that you did, the but one wife. He says, for example, one critical passage originally read, quote, gave instructions to try those persons who were preaching, teaching, or practicing the doctrine of plurality of wives. No man shall have but one wife at a time, end of quote. That was Joseph. That's section 101 of the 1835 DNC. But was edited to instead read, gave instructions to try those persons who were preaching, teaching, or practicing the doctrine of plurality of wives. For according to the law, I hold the keys of this power in the last days, for there is never but one on earth at a time on whom the power of its keys are conferred. And I have constantly said, no man shall have but one wife at a time, unless the Lord directs otherwise. End of quote. That's from kind of a conglomeration of 101 and then the later 18... Right, says the, uh, the uh, section 132, excuse me. The edited version has been used by the LDS Church without disclosing these edited insertions until the Joseph Smith Papers project disclosed a facsimile of the original. That, that insertion <laughs> has Brigham written all over it. That's Brigham language. I've always preached that unless God... Well, it, it, otherwise. Right, and I hold the keys of this power in the last days. That's, that's Brigham-ish, yeah. mm-hmm. I think. Yeah, it's very clear. Well, and everything mm-hmm. can be boiled down to unless God directs you otherwise. Right. But um, in our day and age, God would never direct you to do anything that the prophet didn't tell you to do. <laughs> well, like all things, like uh, it, polygamy, I think you just need to look at the fruits of polygamy, and they're not good. They're generally lead to despair and and sorrow and well, look at all the murder and death <laughs> look at all the people the seed it raised up out here in in the west yeah well then why didn't the the lord establish that pattern with adam and eve why wasn't there adam and eve and sophie and jenny and so on and so forth because mm-hmm. if there was ever a time to raise up seed it would have been when there was zero people <laughs> Uh, I think uh, it, it's a it's a prickly thing, and it and it's causing it, it, it's an argument that it's kind of funny. You go to certain uh, LDS discussion forums and things, and it, it, someone could ask a question about something completely unrelated, and within like five posts, it's polygamy. <laughs> within like five, you know, it's sort of like what do they call the 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 principle where all political arguments come down to Hitler? There's a name for it. I can't remember it now. It's sort of like that in LDS circles. Like huh. Eventually and very quickly, you're going to be talking. You're going to be arguing about. You might have started talking about the church's affiliation with the United Nations, but within five posts, you're going to be talking about polygamy. <laughs> Godwin's law. Godwin's law. That's it. <clears throat> well, we'll link to this essay, sermon, speech from uh, from Denver, and you can read it or not, take it or leave it. Um, 
He says something here that I think is interesting. He says, all the recent LDS policy changes tell us where the leadership's heart lies. The church longs to be far more woke, and he has that in quotes, and popular, urging its adherents to prize a living prophet and and neglect the dead ones. Dead ones said things unsuitable, or at least very uncomfortable, in the brave new world where LDS Mormonism awakens. And so we have Elder Haney of the First Quorum of the Seventy telling the LDS faithful in General Conference, quote, unlike vintage comic books and classic cars, prophetic teachings do not become more valuable with age, end quote. Elder Haney added, quote, we should not seek to use the words of past prophets to dismiss the, dismiss the teachings of the living prophets, end quote. That turns things onto its head, but will be necessary because LDS living prophets contradict and ignore past prophets and even scripture. Um, we've talked about the Haney, what I call the Haney doctrine, right? Quite a bit, and I think it's it's an interesting uh, escalation in that whole follow the prophet idea because now he's he's out there in the most official capacity you can be in general in, in the LDS culture, general conference, saying past prophets, the words of past prophets are essentially worthless. Obsolete. Obsolete. Especially when overridden by new teaching from the pulpit there. Right. And it was funny watching people twist up into pretzels when on Twitter people were saying, does this include the scriptures? And they were saying, well, of course it doesn't. It's like, well, he didn't clarify. And where do we find the words of dead prophets in the scriptures in the scriptures so and of course yeah a lot of people wanted to point to journal of discourses or you know past ensigns conference all, all the body of uh general conference right discussion since joseph you know sure or some obscure quote about tithing, about the church not needing your tithing money because it's so wealthy. Or the idea that the United Nations is a satanic organization. <laughs> right. That was talked about in conference right. in the 60s. Right. We just, just you know, that's That's a dead prophet. That's a dead prophet. That's, uh, less, that's worth less than vintage comic books. Right. <laughs> what an amazing thing to say. Honestly, amazing. <laughs> Or is it all truth? <laughs> That's the ultimate question, right? And I think, uh, I think that's the question we always come back to on our show here, on our discussions, is what is truth and how can you find it? What can you do in your own life to figure that out and to discern right from wrong, whether we've been talking about COVID or other politics or... Zion, what makes a Zion society, right? What is the role of religion? What is the role of a church? And we always come back to the idea of a Zion society. And we're far from it in, our, in, in, in the world today. And that's the whole point of having these discussions and going to church on Sunday or church as you might define it. We had a, we had a conversation last week, me and Jordan and another person and and I think you mentioned you like this is this is like church because we were inquiring about the welfare like church, of our souls. Church was supposed to be as per the Book of Mormon Mer, uh, Moroni chapter 6 or something like that, right? Right. We were we were actually having a fun discussion about this type of topic. Yeah, so later later on, so we 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 that that discussion lasted nearly 4 hours. 
Did you realize that? <laughs> that went a long time, didn't it? <laughs> and as I later on, I, I kind of hit me like we sat there in this fast food restaurant <laughs> for four hours. I don't know if anybody even noticed we were there for that long, like the workers and stuff. But we sat there for almost four hours and it just flew by. Like, I think we all wanted to continue talking, but we had, we all had things to go to. I, we had to go to Relief Society. <laughs> we had to go to second hour. But it reminded we had to me. to go to fifth it, hour. I was like. Fifth hour. The, there's, the, a, there's a whole bunch of people out there like, four hour block. The, con- no! the, con- the, the contrast with how hard it is to sometimes sit through an hour of elders quorum compared to a four hour discussion that just flew by was, was not lost on me. And it made me kind of <laughs> sad because we. It is sad. We should be, uh, as, as, as people. As believers of Mormonism and the Book of Mormon and Joseph Smith, we should look forward to going to church on Sunday because it's a enlightening, edifying experience where we have these types of conversations, where when the, when the church bell rings, when it's time to go home, we, we all say, well, that just flew by. I can't wait. For next week. For next week when we can get let's together. Let's do it again on Wednesday. Yeah, like let's continue this discussion. Instead, it's like, here's my slide presentation I created in... Microsoft Excel on my mission. I had a, an experience on my mission, and, that, and I don't fault necessarily the elders quorum president or the teachers that are called. It's just the culture. It's what we've been trained to do. We could do a lot better. We could, we could, but we're we're being trained to be. We have low expectations for what it's going to be. Right. The bar is set pretty low. And. I know like the old joke is that the elders quorum teacher prepares on the way to church and the Relief Society teacher spends all week doing decorations and, you know, <laughs> the centerpiece, all, all that. And, that. and that's like both are kind of true, but the result is still often, there's exceptions, but often the result is still the same. It's just, it's just regurgitation of things that aren't that, important to begin with it's just basics and we don't have these conversations like we had the other day and i'm not putting any uh, special uh, uh things on us it's just that with the topics we got onto into well, animated it, us it they, was it was free meaning there was no authority telling us what we could and couldn't talk about right and it was so it was in a lot of ways spontaneous mm-hmm. you know and uh, among sincere people who really wanted to talk. Right. And I, and I think we have a problem with creativity. We don't let people be creative and go where they want to go with the material. You know, it, it, the problem is that some, somehow if Joe Blow is teaching a gospel doctrine lesson or Jane Doe is teaching it, that the church approves of it. Mm-hmm. Has, that, has that always been the case that... If if the bishop called them, and then they're they're teaching, the church has to take full liability there. Or can it can it not just be that Jane Doe is a member of the ward and she has an opinion and she gets to say her opinion, based on and you get to decide whether you like it or not based on the evidence sources, the charisma, whatever that she brings to the table. Why can't we do that? That's a good question. I don't know. I propose that. I, t- I told, I, sa- I think I brought this up. I told my elders quorum president on multiple occasions that I thought it was insulting 
that in our ward with so many bright college educated people that we had to regurgitate the conference talks every mm-hmm. every week and then you know he we ended up in a long discussion one time about um he was lamenting that people weren't participating or weren't coming and i was like look ditch the conference talks you'll have it's it's not that there can't can there not be a good conference talk i'm not if you enjoy general conference great i hope people are getting something out of it whatever but the point is that if you've listened to it once you don't need to rehash it right we can that they're available online. You can go listen to those whenever you well, want and you can right. do it repeatedly. You can put it on a loop. So it's insulting to people who are, uh, I think, of a high quality to be forced to regurgitate that all the time when they are creative and they can can add their um, life's experience and uh, extended knowledge on other subjects and other ideas and and go further and, and right. there are a lot of i think there are probably a lot of people out there who uh would want to defend um the situation and say well no they can do that and i'm i'm saying no you can't because i've already tried right at least in my experience right. there's a line you cannot cross you can get all enthusiastic about it you know you can get enthusiastic about enthusiastic about the the culture and the the whatever the current doctrine is, but you can't, there are lines you can't cross and places you can't go because people get uncomfortable. And there's always this fallback of, you know, well, we got to keep, we can't explore the mysteries. You know, we don't want to know how many angels can stand on the head of a, <laughs> the pen or whatever. That's a, where does that come from? That's a great one. I don't know. It's sort of like the fire in a crowded theater. Like it's the go-to whenever someone brings up mysteries, it's like, well, it doesn't matter how many angels can fit on the head of a pen. It's like, who's I, I never wondered that. that. Like, yeah. it, it, it's just sort of the, the absurd example of, yeah. of the mysteries, right? When of course there's, there's uh, mysteries that we should and need to be contemplating all the time at least according to joseph well in the book of mormon nephi says we should seek knowledge even great knowledge about the we things are, of heaven we are called to hold the keys he says the things joseph of the said, mysteries the things of god are of great import and therefore we should not contemplate them at all because they do not they do not matter too low too <laughs> vulgar too condescending for the dignified characters of the called and chosen of god are you that or are you not right are we human or are we dancer now we're going to have to get dimitri reinvolved in this discussion um well i hope um i think it's an interesting discussion i hope that anyone listening to this realizes this is a sincere discussion nobody's asserting um, what you must do or, or what the church must be. This is like a commentary on what we're experiencing. Right. Right. And I think, uh, like I said, you can, we'll link to this uh, talk. You, you can take it or leave it. Um, just like everything that we say here, you can take, you it, can or take it or leave it. it. Apparently more people are leaving it than taking it. <laughs> Which is fine. We're hemorrhaging our audience. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. I have, a, I have some parting words. Okay. Oh, say what is truth. Tis the fairest gem that the riches of worlds can produce. 
And priceless the value of truth will be when the proud monarch's costliest diadem is counted but dross and refuse. Yes, say what is truth. Tis the brightest prize to which mortals or gods can aspire. Go search in the depths where it glittering lies, or ascend in pursuit to the loftiest skies. Tis an aim for the noblest desire. The scepter may fall from the despot's grasp when with winds of stern justice he copes, but the pillar of truth will endure to the last, and its firm-rooted bulwarks outstand the rude blast and the wreck of the fell tyrant's hopes. Then say, what is truth? Tis the last and the first, for the limits of time it steps over. Though the heavens depart and the earth's fountains burst, truth, the sum of existence, will weather the worst, eternal, unchanged, evermore. Amen. Amen.